Thanks for joining us for Season 7 of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy. I'd like to welcome my partner, my brother from another mother, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. And thank you for that kind introduction to me and to all those listening. Feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind branded strategic hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, food service, technology, innovation, and capital. And Jimmy, I got to tell you, we are super excited. We're in Chicago. Big, big show. National restaurant show. We haven't been here in three years Three years we haven't been here, so we got a great show. We're super excited to be here. But Jimmy, I got to talk to you about one thing before we jump into this great show. And I got to tell what you, that be? Jimmy, there is a place out there in the metaverse, in the universe, in the world of uh, high tech. Okay, it's called the branded marketplace. Okay, you go to the branded marketplace, and I got to tell you, Jimmy, you find every solution you could possibly need to operate your restaurant in this marketplace. So all I ask is everybody listening, go to the brandedmarketplace.com, check it out, and you will find solutions that are solving problems. And Jimmy, if you want to get on the marketplace, all you got to do is just you just email me, Shatsy, marketplace at brandedstrategic.com. Or, Jimmy, I dare say, Shatsy at brandedstrategic.com. You can email directly to me. and we'll Directly get you. you. Directly to me, and we'll get you on the marketplace in like 10 minutes. That's how fast. And by the way, Jimmy, people are probably like, hey, Shatsy, do I have to have my credit card handy when I sign up for the marketplace? You know what I tell them, Jimmy? No. Yes. No, 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 you don't have to have your credit card. And do you know why? I can't imagine. This sounds very expensive. What does this cost? No, it's free. That's why you don't need a credit card. It's absolutely free. So get on the marketplace. Check it out. Find all the greatest tech solutions. And I got to tell you, Jimmy, suppliers are going on there in a couple of weeks. Suppliers, too. I love Jimmy, it. By the way, Shaq, read, before we go, before we uh, launch into the episode, do me one favor. Read my mind. One word. What do I have to say in response to that great introduction? Boom, baby. Boom. I, I'll just boom. Not boom, baby, boom. Just boom. Oh. One word. Okay. Boom. But boom's boom. good. All oh. right. Enough of that self-promotion that was sponsored by Chico's Bail Bonds. Let's jump into the episode. Our guest today is our friend, Mr. Dan Rowe, CEO of France Smart and managing partner at The Kitchen Fund. And for a man that does not need an introduction, I'm going to give one anyway, uh, because France Smart's current and past franchise development portfolio brands have opened more than 5,000 restaurants worldwide and has facilitated franchise investments that have cumulatively generated over pinky to the side of my lips over 1 billion in revenues to date. Okay. This I have to say, Jimmy, by the way, he is the smartest person I've ever met in franchising. So Fran smart, it should be Dan smart. That's good. Might, that might catch on. So with that in mind, let us bring Dan into the fold here, into the mix. Dan, we'll ask you to take the lead. Welcome to the podcast. Please give us a quick background about yourself and, of course, uh, introduction to Fran Smart, please. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. And I like the Dan Smart. So I'm gonna, I am got, I got to go protect that. <laughs> you got to footnote me on that. I, I, I trademarked it already, Dan. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. So for the last 30 years, we basically have been getting involved with early stage emerging brands, things that we think can be the next big thing. We want to get involved with them as early as we can. And it really started when I was in my early 20s. I bought a franchise for this crappy six unit bagel concept. They were based in D.C. and we bought the rights for Denver, not knowing any better clear across the country, we're kind of on our own to figure it all out. And our stores were more successful than any of the stores in DC. And we helped grow that company from six stores to a couple hundred and then sold. One of my shops was right across from the first Chipotle. We tried talking him into franchising. He wasn't interested, but then we worked with Qdoba. So, you know, it sort of kicked off this pattern of seeing these, um, you know, emerging brands. Every every big chain started with one. And at an early stage, I got exposure to a couple of brands at the very nascent stages that were able to grow into the hundreds of millions. So we just have sort of found a home in that space, both on the franchise development side with Fransmart or on the investing side, either Fransmart's writing angel checks or kitchen funds writing grown-up checks. That's awesome, Dan, and thanks for sharing that. Listen, before we take a deep dive, because I got to tell you, Jimmy, I got this 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 guest, Dan, got a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. Before we take we, a deep we, dive, we booked him for a few hours. Yeah, this, this, this is a four-hour podcast. Before yes, we can't even know we booked him for four hours. Oh, we no, he has no idea. We cleared his calendar. Before we talk about <laughs> more about France, more, and you brought up the kitchen fund. There's a lot here. We need to t- we want to learn a little bit more about what makes Dan Rowe tick. We don't really get inside Dan Rowe. So you're into franchising, I mean, and you are the leader, clearly the leader of franchising in the whole world as far as I'm concerned. How'd you get into it? What was that? Were you always like, I love franchising? What can you share about your journey? How did it start? Where? Take us back to 1975. Dan, this is Shatsy's Fraser Crane moment. Shatsy is listening. I love it. So, you know, so it, it, uh, it actually started when I was 18. I knew I wasn't going to college and um, I wanted to figure out how to become successful. And I went to a motivational seminar. I went to a business seminar. It was this Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins, back when he was, you know, Guy's putting very on tall, by the way. I met him in an elevator and huge hands, yeah. huge hands. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I went to a show. There was only 100 people there, or whatever. But the exercise for the show is what do you want to do with your life? And, my, you know, at the end of the day, you sort of go through all these different machinations of that question. And what I came away from is I want to get wealthy, helping people get wealthy. I want to get rich, helping people get rich. I didn't want to own a Ferrari at the expense of, you know, talking you into something you're going to lose your home or whatever. And what I like about franchising is that's basically the model is that, you know, the franchisors only make money if the franchisees are making money, right? Franchisees are only making money if they've got a good team and their people are making money. And so it's a sort of, you know, it's a sort of thing. But I, I realized at a very early age, I was going to take a lot of pleasure getting wealthy, helping people get wealthy. And, you know, honestly, I mean, I just find a lot of joy in this space. If I, this is the kind of job that if I didn't, if I wasn't getting paid, this is exactly what I'd be doing. By the way, that's freaking awesome. I love it. I got to tell you, I, uh, we had to, we had to start doing more with Dan. By the way, hang on I that lo- guy. I love his model, not getting paid. Eat well, he's drinking well. There's a, there's a lot to learn here. Listen, uh, Dan, I'm all about using analogies uh, you know, for references, but I think when it comes to fun idioms, um, you may have got me beat. Um, I'm going to quote you for a moment. Uh, when I asked about your view of franchising, uh, you have a go big or go home uh, mentality. Uh, furthermore, you describe the theory that when someone buys a single unit franchise – 
they've essentially bought themselves a job. But when someone becomes a multi-unit franchise operator, they bought themselves a career or an empire. Um, I think that dovetails really nicely from what you just said about why you enjoy the space. But can you share a little bit more uh, about that? Yeah, it's better not to buy a single unit franchise. Like if you're basically just buying yourself a job, think about it. When you have a job, you can quit your job. You can leave your job. If you decide that that you're in an industry you don't like, you can just go get another job. If you've bought a franchise and that's, you know, that's basically how you're going to make your living. I mean, you've basically sunk your life savings into that. You've signed, you know, if it's a restaurant or retail business, you've signed a lease with all kinds of contingent liabilities. The, the, the risk, there's just, there's just no way to me that that makes sense. With franchising, though, with multi unit franchising, you know, I read this book, The Richest Man in Babylon, and it talks, it's the best, it's the best 20 minute read you'll ever have um, uh, as far for a business book. But the idea is, you know, you want to invest in things that generate so much profit that you want to keep reinvesting that profit into more units, right? You get a compounded return. And so that's what I see in franchising. Like if you just Google the list of the wealthiest franchisees, wealthy multi-unit franchisees, however you want to ask the question, you'll get pages and pages and pages of people that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially billions of dollars in this business. And a lot of them started without any money. So the business is a perfect, like I know, I know someone I won't name names, but he started as assistant manager with a uh, Taco Bell, parlayed that into plus 100 locations. He was a corporate hack, really good at operations and wound up becoming a turnaround guy, became a small franchisee, would build, would fix broken stores, turn around, you know, and flip those. And then has accumulated a lot. I know people that have done that in 15 different brands. So it's, you know, it's the, it's the ultimate wealth builder to me. If you get into like, like, you know, I know people at five guys, they build stores, especially early on with the brand. When you get into a brand, when they're young, they're, they're just less expensive to build. You're more likely to be able to leverage conversions and stuff like that. You get your money back fast and then you roll that into another store. And at some point those self fund multiple, you know, locations making millions of dollars. Now you've got an asset. I mean, one, you're making way more than you would be making if you buy yourself a job. And two, you've got an asset now that you can sell for a life changing amount of money. And there's so many investors out there. Like if you're a good operator, there's so much capital out there looking for a place to invest. So, you know, I think that this business, I think wealth in this industry, you know, rewards good, strong, hungry operators. That is awesome, Dan. And I got to tell you, you touched a little bit about five guys. I mean, this is one of your earliest brands. And uh, this was, I, I mean, this is like America's fastest growing restaurant chain. I mean, Five Guys Burgers and Fries is just unbelievable. I don't know how many units you guys have today, but they're all over the place. They're amazing. Let's talk about a couple of other brands. Halal Guys, Taffer's Tavern, the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. You guys just opened up, I think, your first or second uh, store. Savannah Seafood Shack, another one. What do you look for in an emerging brand before you add them to portfolio? What kind of things are you looking for? What kind of brands? Is it a specific type of food? Is it a, in a certain area? I mean, what kind of things are you looking at? I mean, a lot of it is unit economics because, you know, high volume tells you customers like the concept. You know, customers vote with their wallets. So if they've got really, really good sales, that's a good indication. The restaurants themselves have to make enough profit that franchisees want to keep reinvesting free cash into more units. 
then we look at other things too. We look at like, what's the landscape? So when I got to Halal Guys, you know, I had opened 50 restaurants across American brands in the Middle East. And every time I'm over there, I'd fall in love with the local street food. And it dawned on me, there's a billion and a half Muslims and there's no brand. Not let me, there's no restaurant brand. There's no brand. I could come back to America, go to any Starbucks or Panera and ask the average customer to name me one Middle Eastern singer, actor, apparel company, tech company, car company, and you get crickets. You've got a billion and a half Muslims. The food's amazing. Middle Eastern food, Mediterranean food's amazing. And I just saw this as like, oh my God, I just sort of, you know, there's a huge opportunity if somebody gets this right. And there's plenty of Middle Eastern restaurants making food for Middle Easterners. And we said, look, if you can take this Middle Eastern food and make it safe and approachable for like the Starbucks crowd or the Panera crowd, you're going to have a monster on your hand. And so, you know, that's exactly what we did. We make people feel really safe, really smart trying the food. And within only a couple of years, including COVID, that chain's already 100 units on its way to 500 units. And it's the fastest, clearly it's the fastest growing Middle Eastern restaurant concept in the world. But we're growing, you know, the same thing. And, like so and that's, that's a New York brand, right? Food truck it, in New York? It's carts. They didn't even have the money for a food truck. It wasn't a food they truck, were, a cart, right? By the were, museum or something, wasn't it? In the Upper West? Carts. Yeah, they were push carts. Now, I mean, yeah, in all fairness, they were push carts that were so popular. There was yep. a line down the block. So I had nothing mm-hmm. to do with I had nothing to do with that. But to help them turn that into, you know, what I hope is going to be a household brand, you know, that was just sort of uh, you know, the being at the right place at the right time with the right idea. But going back to, to Taffers is like, you know, John Taffers, this world famous person. We're doing um, a, the next generation of casual dining. So we have this very, very high volume, full service restaurant, uh, tavern restaurant concept that doesn't have a hood. So we, you know, like we, we address the issues, like what's the big plague in casual dining? And a lot of it had to do with economics and you know, it takes too many employees to run these places and all this kind of stuff. And we'd ask employees, what do you guys hate doing? And they said, we hate prep, we hate cleaning. And, you know, and so we dealt with this. We basically engineered a concept from the get-go that's hoodless and ventless, very, very, very high volume, but it uses a technique called sous vide. So all it's the French cooking technique. I mean, it's, the, you know, it's super advanced technique, but we were able to talk the biggest co-packer in the world into making all of our own specific proprietary items for us, sous vide, so that they all show up at every single restaurant. It's perfect every time. And, you know, he's doing, I mean, really high sales, like maybe two times the sales of a typical casual dining restaurant. And then um, you look at uh, Savannah Seafood. I mean, they, they disclose their numbers in their FDD. They're 1,800 feet. I think they do two and a half million in sales, so like well over a thousand a foot. That's a big number. Over 25% profit margin. They disclose all that. And it's like, you know, and so you sit there and you're like, okay, well, no one's done anything new nationally in seafood. There's a concept that's from a cool place with unbelievable unit economics. And we just threw it out there. We threw it out to our network of franchisees, and we already have like 10 bites. 10 of our franchisees across the country that are looking for non-competing expansion vehicles like this. They basically really, really, really like this concept. So economics, you know, we look for runway, we look for really authentic brands. I don't want to me too, like because of brand, you know, because something's successful, I don't want to get in with someone who's jumping on a bandwagon. So I want authentic concepts with real soul and, you know, and, 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 but mostly it's unit economics. And do we think we can grow up from a couple to a couple hundred? Is there room 
is are you still early enough in the cycle that franchisees like when I sold out of we were, I was a partner in a couple of five guys franchises, we sold at a very very high multiple, much higher than the multiples are now. So you know you want to you know you want to get it going as uh, big as you can as fast as you can. Dan, I love all that. And I got to tell you, in case anyone takes a snippet out of this segment, Dan did not say he doesn't support the Me Too movement. That's not what he said. He said he doesn't want a Me Too brand. I just want to be clear. We don't want Dan misquoted on uh, on the episode. I, I want to stick with unit economics because as the finance guy of this uh, dynamic duo, um, I'd like to think I know at least a little bit or two uh, about investing and especially about the importance of a small or emerging business being attractive enough to attract capital, to attract investors, to take the risks associated with high risk, high reward. Um, you talk, you touched on the unit economics. Can you share a little bit more about the importance of unit economics and the role this plays in your decision-making you know, process? Um, I think you really kind of nailed it with the Savannah Seafood Shack, but how much do you look into that and how important is that in your decision-making? Well, it's critical. So the the they have the unit economics have to be so much better that it'll get attention. It won't, can't just be as good like when I was growing five guys, you're growing halal guys. The numbers can't just be as good as all the other players out there. They have to be a lot better. So, you know, and look at a brand like Sweetgreen. I mean, Sweetgreen, for as small as they are, had a ridiculously high valuation because those stores cost 800 grand to open. They did, you know, $3 million in sales with a 20% four wall margin, a 75% four wall ROI. So it's like, I mean, everyone in the world wants that. And then on our brands, like five guys or halal guys, I mean, the, the ROIs can be months, not not years, you know, so we're, we're looking for brands. If we're going to get involved, it's got to be something with less than a, you know, less than a two year payback. They have to have better than 50 percent ROI because we sell to people that already own Panera's or Five Guys or whatever. And they're not going to stop building those unless you have an economic um, uh, uh, you know, sort of an economic model that's so much more compelling that that they, you know, they want to jump in. Dan, I love that and, and appreciate it. And um, I love the fact that you're looking to get an ROI, not in years, as you just said, certainly within two years, but you're talking in some cases with the halal guys getting it done in months. And that is that is exceptional. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and jump into the kitchen fund, uh, much like the work we do at Branded. Um, I, uh, the kitchen fund is also offering both connected and supportive capital to restaurant brands as industry experts. What's new in the world of Kitchen Fund and what role is technology playing um, at the Kitchen Fund in terms of your portfolio? It's it's the driver of, you know, it's basically the driver of profit. So any, any and all tech tools to drive revenue, to lower costs, to basically make it easier to manage the restaurants, to optimize your labor, like it's a big deal. But, you know, Kitchen Fund is bigger. Now we're on Kitchen Fund, too. So it's a bigger fund writing bigger checks. It's not dealing with, you know, the the super, super emerging brands. The last investment that we made was in um, the largest acai producer in the country, Sambazon. And so there's a, you know, acai there. They had one location and they did over one hundred million dollars worth of sales through grocery and wholesale. And we see that as a great place to park capital. And then we're also helping coach them into growing their wholesale business much, much, much bigger, but then taking their one um, retail unit and turning that into a 500 plus unit chain. So that that's an example where we could put capital and we're smart investors, we're value add investors. We're able to help these guys 
um, everywhere. This morning, we're an investor in a tech company, an AI company, and I connected them with the biggest franchisees in the country. And it's like, you know, we make an investment in these brands and we're also able to plug them into our ecosystem. And so it, that that's just sort of where, you know, where we're looking to make good, smart investments and then leverage our ecosystem for more upside. Love it. Love it. Listen, lastly, before we move on, when we think of the future of food service and what's the next trend to take over the industry, there is a lot of talk out there about NFTs and the metaverse. I mean, it reminds me of, a, you know, when we were talking about cloud kitchens and dark kitchens just a couple of years ago. Now everyone's talking about NFTs and the metaverse. And so let's just talk a little about NFTs and the metaverse and its role in hospitality. I know one of your brands, Halal Guys, we just talked about, which is, we love it here in New York. I mean, you walk by one of those uh, Halal Guys, man, the smell is just, it's off the chain. Uh, I know the Halal Guys are offering loyal customers who've dined with you guys, uh, you know, a hundred times, whatever the number is, uh, the Century Club, which includes an exclusive NFT from the original food cart like we talked about. So talk to me a little about NFTs. Do you think NFTs are the future for loyalty? And let's touch a little bit about the metaverse. And what is this role in restaurants? Honestly, I have no idea. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. It's one of the best, most yeah, honest answers be. I've heard in a long time on the yeah, was, <laughs> Somebody told curious. me I got to do an NFT and I did it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm as curious as anyone to see how this is going, but it's sort of like, it's sort of like Bitcoins or or, you know, even looking at ghost kitchen and dark kitchens, it's like just seeing how that's mutated. And, you know, the original business thesis, they're all on a different strategy now. So it's like, I'm not really sure how NFTs are going to go, but I'm 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 excited to see. Yeah. Jimmy and I had coffee this morning uh, and we were talking a little about with uh, one of our friends who, you know, he's been in the space for quite a few years in the blockchain and crypto. And we started talking and I'm really just trying to get smarter on it. I agree with you. It's very, very early and we're trying to educate ourselves and really get smarter on the, the subject matter. Uh, listen, let's switch. Let's go. Let's go to our next segment. OK, the next segment is is talking back. And it turns out that on the podcast, yes, Jimmy likes to talk a lot. I like to talk <laughs> a lot. We talk a lot on the podcast. But you know what? We decided let's give let's give the guests an opportunity to talk a little bit more and and nothing is off the table so we'd like you to ask us a question anything you want dan the mic is yours talking back what question you got for jimmy and i i want to hear from you guys your sense of the trends in the next couple of years i feel like i'm in a bubble like i just went to the food on demand for the first time and i get there and it looks like you guys are a hundred times more plugged into all things pop culture restaurant culture everything culture and I want to hear from you guys, like, what do you guys see is the next trend? And where, you know, where do you think that I should be focusing my energy if I want to get out in front of the next trend fast? Ooh, a fantastic wow. question. Wow. No, it is a good question. I mean, uh, I'm going to take a first stab at it, Jimmy, because I know you like to always take in the the, the anchor role, the better <laughs> answer. But so I give the first answer and then you massage to make it a far better answer. <laughs> uh, but I got to tell you, I mean, certainly we are curious about what we just talked about. NFTs, metaverse, blockchain, you know, I, I, payments is is a very um, 
to me, it's a pain point for restaurant operators. If you look at a PL and you say, well, outside of, you know, the cogs and, 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 and the, uh, the labor and, of course, the, the, the occupancy charges, really it's, it's repairs and maintenance and it's that whole credit card processing is a big line item for a lot of operators. So really uh, very curious to see um, how uh, blockchain and crypto, et cetera, is going to start uh, working its way through adoption into restaurants and customers being able to use that as a source of payment and and really reduce a lot of the operational costs for operators, which can exceed, you know, it could be three and a half, uh, you know, four percent of your sales on that. So that's one area. And the other, you know, area we continue to look at and explore is just is the um, the cloud kitchen, the ghost kitchens, um, the smaller footprint of the restaurant. Uh, being designed much more for the the off-prem as that continues to grow. So really flipping things around from 70% seats and 30% back of the house. It's almost completely reversed where it's it's 70% back of the house and almost no seats with lots of opportunities to, to get food out. Uh, so continuing to look at things in, in that space. Um, and, you know, uh, so those are just a couple of the areas that we're very excited about. Seth, that was awesome. I feel like uh, you just did your best Dennis Rodman and box me out. You talked about oh, NFTs. Come on, you talked about NF- you talk about NFTs, payments, repairs, and ghost kitchens, cloud kitchens. Uh, to Dan's question, you that covered was the intro for you. That, that was the intro a, for you. You, you to covered now, a lot. You covered a lot. You articulated better. I'll just touch on one thing because I actually think, Shats, those are some of the trends that that are on our mind and we're seeing. Uh, I'm going to play a little Donnie baseball. Sustainability, is, Jimmy. Ah. <laughs> I, oh, good. You even got that one in there. My, 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 my answer with respect to more near term, but a change I expect to see. Um, back when I was a much younger man, we used to eat um, at home. My mom would was cook food and we eat and that we you get what was served. And now my friends who have kids of a certain age, um, they're all ordering in from different apps. And, and while the meal might be at home, it's it's a very different experience. Um, expanding on the GK or the cloud kitchen space, I think a lot of restaurants are masking or somewhat hiding that they're testing this out and trying it. And, and our belief is that the excess kitchen capacity should be utilized not just fully and will continue to be, but that more and more restaurants will be proud of it and will no longer do that kind of stealth. So our expectation is the next two years, you're going to see a lot of brands and a lot of um, menus have more diversity than I think uh, right now it, it exists, as I, as I said, but you know, a, 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 a full service casual restaurant is not marketing to their guests in the store what's going on in the virtual and digital space. And my sense is those two markets are going to converge and you're going to see a lot more, um, again, different brands, different menu items, um, all within the same um, footprint um, and no longer sh- hiding in the shadows. But in fact, you're going to see these restaurants bragging about the diversity they're offering, because I think the consumer at the end of the day is who we need to satisfy. And the consumer is going to love that when they realize that they can really enjoy far more granularity or far more diversity, I should say, to the menu offering than, than, than exists today. That's my two cents. That might have been one of the longest answer chats we ever gave to a question that one of our guests asked us. What do you think? It was. It was. Yeah. Well, that's because a lot of exciting things in the pipeline. There's a lot to talk about. A lot of exciting things. a lot things. of really cool stuff happening. And Jimmy, Jimmy, I agree with that. Like that was my takeaway from the food on demand too, is I was surprised how many people are already leveraging their own yep. excess capacity. 
Yep, and they're but really they're hiding it still. And I don't I, I again I'm not that's not my domain, but it, to me I think it's going to come out from behind the the woodwork, come out of the woodwork, and people are going to be proud to have those brands in their stores, proud to have those items. Yeah. Yep. But yes, excess capacity we really love, and when it comes to the capex of that's associated with the building of commercial kitchens, I admit that's something that Brandon's been staying away from. We just we don't love the the big capex. We love the utilization of excess capacity. We think that's just really smart, and will deliver a very attractive return on investment. But I digress. Let us move into a the newest segment, first time in seven seasons that that I got a new segment. So clearly, um, that the producer, uh, our producer Julie Zucker, uh, tasked favorable light on bad for you jimmy felt bad and you also complained to her you also complained i was a bribed her anyway listen i recently shared a a restaurant story with a few members of our team it was i said you know one of my favorite stories and and julie and the and the crew liked it um and they they said you know what we should be asking our guests about about funny store fun their own funny and interesting story that maybe they had as a guest or maybe they had as as one of their own experiences so rather than me kind of telling a story but i gotta tell you i got a lot of them but it's not about me it's about our friend Dan Rowe. Dan, can you share a favorite restaurant moment uh, with uh, about maybe one of your brands with our listeners? There, there are a few, but a couple that come to mind is I, I fly in and out of Teterboro, and we have a halal guys right by Teterboro, and I'm standing in line, and all of a sudden I'll look behind me, and there's you know Shaq, or you know I was in there another time, I look in front of me, and there's Mike Tyson or something like that, and it just cracks me up. It's like you know, this little concept I started working with when it was a cart, all of a sudden, you know, it's got these celebrities on in, you know, in the store. And then later that day, there's a picture of that celebrity in that store on Instagram that's being spun. It's just funny how the world works. But, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's almost surreal to, to, to watch what happens with these brands. Shaq, Shaq, he just gave you, he just gave it to you. There it is. Come on, Shaq, say it. Shaq at Halal Guys at Teterboro, Shaq, that was... Boom! I was, I was going breaking news. I was going breaking news. Big chicken? The, the, the Mr. Big Chicken himself is hanging out all guys. How good is that? Mr. I'll Big Chicken it. knows a thing or two about Middle Eastern food, Jimmy. Yes. Yeah, By the we'll way, if you, if you if you get if you're online behind Mike Tyson, just take it easy, okay? Cool it. Uh, let's not instigate anything. He's a yeah, gentleman. Don't bother him on a don't flight. Bother don't bother him on a flight. When he's on a plane. Yeah. Don't bother the champ on a plane. I agree. Let him have. Let him do his business. Don't uh, try and take a selfie with the champ. Leave the champ alone. All right. Listen. Uh, we want to go into our crystal ball moment. A chance where we ask our guests to put on their Creskin and Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. The future. Dan, how do you see restaurants and dining two years from now? in relation to hospitality and technology? I think you're gonna see brands really, I mean, first of all, technology is gonna be pervasive and the technology that we use to interact with restaurants are gonna be as friendly as Facebook or something like that. Yes. But the other part is that a brand that survives need to feed needs to feed people when they wanna be fed, where they wanna be fed and how they wanna be fed. The whole thesis, the whole original thesis for ghost kitchens and dark kitchens were that restaurants weren't good at off-premise or weren't, you know, they weren't good at that stuff. And clearly that's changed in large part because of COVID. But I think nowadays, you know, it's all about brand. People want a brand. They want it when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. And the brands are going to figure that out. Look at what I just read about Famous Dave's and Applebee's doing drive throughs It's like, you know, who would have thought? Who would have thought, right? Date night. Yeah, no, you never, you know, you're 100% right. Uh, what's up is down. What's in is out. What's black is white. I mean, it's it's uh, everything is uh, converging. I think Shatz is turning I mean, turtle. Shatz is turning turtle. Uh, Mary Poppins returns. Up is down. Yeah, down is no. I. 
Yeah, all right, well, listen, I, that's, that's our show. You know, we're all good. I mean, there's nothing left to cover. Oh, I'm kidding except, you, Shad. I'm kidding. For the branded, we've got the greatest segment right now, Dan, <laughs> and we are so excited to have you on it, the branded quickfire. And, Dan, I'm going to ask you five lightning round questions. I don't want you to think too hard. Just first thing that comes into your mind, just blurt it out. Are you ready for the branded quickfire? Sure. Let me have it. Favorite Saturday Night Live skit? Uh, it's got to be Cowbells, Christopher Walken. <laughs> I need more Cowbell. It's a great uh, one. Any, anything Walken does. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Oh, my mom and sister are in town. Tonight we're going to Roy's in Scottsdale. Nice. Roy's, uh, full service, yeah. Gotta love Roy's. Love is, that Roy's. Over to, is that, is that at, the, at the Marriott Desert Ridge? Exactly. Right by the Marriott. Oh, that's our place, Jimmy. That's our place, baby. Yeah, Dad, tell him Shats tell him tell him you know Shatsy and uh uh and they'll say, Who? What? Eh? What? Or 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 they'll say, you know, Shatsy, you can't eat here. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right. Favorite food city in the world? Oh, I got two. Uh Mexico City and Rome. Nice. Winner winner. Tell you, I mean, those are those are winner winners. Favorite place to travel. Oh, I got two of those, too. My two favorite places, my two happy places are Maui and Amsterdam. Hmm. Maui and Amsterdam. Is there any connection there? I'll leave no, it to your imagination. They're completely different from each other, but I, they're just, there's nothing like either place. Even all the other places in Hawaii, like nothing's like Maui. And then the rest of Europe is like just... I love it all. I, I got to just... tell you, I, I love I love Maui and I love Amsterdam. I got to <laughs> tell you, if, if you were to challenge Jimmy Rye to a game of mini golf, mini golf, what are your better odds of beating? Uh, whoever I can get to drink the most. Well, that'd be Jimmy. That'd be. That'd be... I was gonna say. I was gonna say. It may not be descriptive <laughs> no, enough, but yeah, go. I think it's probably that. That's probably a fair answer. That's probably true. Open open bar and mini golf, but nothing's better than that. Yeah, we were at oh. Top Golf. Uh, we were at Top Golf over in Vegas. I'll tell you, we had a blast. My first time being at Top Golf, we had a blast over there. I didn't pick up a club. I was Ooh. enjoying. I was enjoying the F and B. It is. It, I, I love That's it. But uh, yeah, all right, all right, Jimmy. I think you uh, you you you, you win. No, I lost. One? You lost. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I think by choosing me to have the better odds of beating, I think he was saying you're the winner and I'm the other. I'm the not winner. But I get a partic- Do I get a participation trophy? I hope so. I hope I do. All right, yes, listen. Yes, everybody. Everybody's Everyone a winner gets on a the participation podcast. trophy. Dan, we want to thank you so much for joining us uh, on the on the hangout and for all your great insights. Uh, I got to tell you, I know one of our former guests is going to be really jealous. That's Sterling Douglas because Sterling, you just fell one further notch down the. Uh, you got you got to raise your game a little bit, Sterling. But no, we want to thank you for all your hard work. Uh, Dan, uh, in support of this industry, uh, not just during one of the, this, this challenging time, but really for all the work you and your team have done. If you want to get in touch with Dan directly, you can email the podcast team at podcast at brandedstrategic.com. Uh, We'd be happy to make the introduction. As our listeners know, we stopped giving out personal phone numbers and email addresses uh, in the middle of season one when it was frowned upon. Uh, and to our listeners, we want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to tune in with us. We know there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there and the fact that you continue to subscribe and listen and 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 expand our network is something we really do appreciate uh please join us next next week as we welcome our friend and guest uh and our partner mr daniel meth ceo of ingest for a deep data 
dive. That's the triple D next week with Daniel Meth. Deep, love the data. Love the, the deep data. data dive. Love it. Uh, and finally. Hey, point. do it way. Before we sign off, Jimmy, let me just l- let Dan get a chance. Dan, if everybody wants to get, like, learn a little bit more about Fransmart, what's, where do we go? Fransmart.com? Fransmart.com. Smart franchise. Fransmart.com. Check it out. I got to tell you, Dan's got some incredible brands. So if you're out there looking for a franchise opportunity, you got to speak to Dan because he's the guy to do it. He's got great franchise out there. And like he said, you could work for someone else or you can be your own boss and start a franchise. And I got to tell you, Dan's crushing it. it in the world the, of franchise. We're the world leader on our, on our podcast today. How good is that? How good is that? Hey, Shaz, I got one word for you. Boom. Okay. If you, have, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast. You don't miss out on any of the exciting guests we have coming up in the future. So from Jimmy Frischling, your finance guy, with appreciation and thanks uh, to our friend Dan Rowe, I'm passing it back to Shatsy. Jimmy, it's great to be in Chicago. We love it. Uh, thanks, everybody. This is Shatsy, AK Restaurant Guy, signing off. Uh, hospitality Hangout. And thanks, Dan Rowe, the franchising uh, genius from Dan Smart. Thanks, bro. <laughs> Go Dan Smart. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers. DanSmart.com.